Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Tearsheet Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. This conversation with top executives at Bank of America about building good financial habits for Gen Z is part of a special podcast series where we're exploring the fascinating Gen Z deeper, their relationship with money, how they like to save, spend, and borrow, their fears and aspirations, and their connections with social issues. Tearsheet thanks our sponsor, Publicis Sapient, for their support. Please read and download customer research about Gen Z and financial services at steezlife.co. That's S-T-E-E-Z-L-I-F-E dot C-O. And on this episode, I'm joined by Holly O'Neill, president of retail banking at Bank of America. Holly is responsible for the growth of the retail banking business, which serves U.S. mass market consumers. She's also a member of the company's executive management team. Holly serves as the bank's chief client care officer, overseeing a team that provides financial solutions to nearly 68 million clients each year, with a focus on helping clients wherever and however they prefer to bank, serving diverse communities, and supporting financial education. Also joining us for this discussion is Haim Israel, Head of Global Thematic Research at Bank of America Securities. For the past two years, Haim and his team have been ranked first in the Thematic Research and ESG Integrated Climate Change teams of the institutional investor, Extel Global Survey. And prior to this, Israel was the head of Bank of America's EEMEA Technology, Media, and Telecommunications Research Team. Here's my conversation about building good financial habits in younger banking customers with Holly and Haim. Great. So, Holly, we'll start with you. Who are you and what do you do? Sure. I'm Holly O'Neill. I'm president of retail banking at Bank of America. And so I'm responsible uh, for our mass market clients. Um, in the consumer business. And uh, we deliver to our clients through both technology as well as physical presence in our in our branches. So um, it's a domestic business here in the US and we serve about 66 million consumer clients. Well, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you here, Holly. Great to be here, Zach. Thanks. Hi, I'm who are you and what do you do? I'm a global strategist at Bank of America. I'm the head of the global thematic investment research team. And what we do in thematics, we try to look at the future. We try to understand what are the big mega trends that are going to impact our life in the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years, really long-term future. Welcome to the podcast as well, Haim. Thank you. And so I really like this. We're going to be talking about what's happening today as well as looking into the future. And we're here really to talk about Gen Z and this new generation that we're trying to figure out. Let's start there. Holly, um, how has the landscape of financial habits and priorities shifted with the emergence of Gen Z as a significant consumer demographic? Sure. So Gen Z is definitely um, a big target of ours as a company because they are the future, right? And I'm sure Haim is going to talk about what they what they're looking for and what they want. And so we are listening to those clients around what their preferences are. They definitely like to do business with us digitally. Um, so, and we have a world-class digital platform. Uh, so we are delivering every day, all day to all of our clients, in particular Gen Z through digital, through our mobile app and online banking. Um, and then we're further supporting that with physical presence across 3,900 financial centers, um, primarily around advice. So our Gen Z clients really enjoy the mobile app um, to do transactions, to understand what their current picture is. But we also believe that supporting that interface is really important with our specialists in financial centers who are physically present in the communities where our clients live. 
That makes a lot of sense. Before we go further in our conversation, I wanted to call out that Publicis Sapiens Dave Donovan, EVP of Financial Services, has been banging the table on the need for banks to get serious about serving Gen Z. Dave means business and believes that banks face a huge threat here if they don't get it right. I spoke with him about how to connect with Gen Z and how banks can do it better. My name is David Donovan, and I'm an executive vice president with Publicis Sapient. I lead our financial services vertical in North America at Publicis. Why doesn't financial services in general get Gen Z? What, what, what's going on there? Well, I don't think that they've taken the time to really understand the demographic. And you know, Gen Z is a lot different from millennials, and it's a lot different from baby boomers. And I think banks have been comfortable thinking that they understand uh, a certain demographic that works for them. And Gen Z represents a much different demographic. For one, they've grown up with, you know, with technology, you know, they're, they're digital first. And for banks, banks have, have evolved into technology. It's not something that's a, a comfortable muscle memory, you know, muscle for them but it is a very comfortable muscle for Gen Z in, in all aspects of their life. It sounds like what you're saying, Dave, is like you can't just do a marketing campaign and expect to reach Gen Z for a product that doesn't necessarily resonate with them. No, no. I mean, banks, they need to understand and connect in, with Gen Z in a much deeper way. And you know, the best way to do that is through leveraging digital tools and through transparency and being authentic. One thing that Gen Z values more than anything is authenticity and banks. I'm not saying that they're not authentic, but they're not always transparent. Hi, how about you? How do, how do you, how, and how long have you seen this as, how long have you been tracking this, this generation? We've been tracking it for quite some time. We think it's much more important now because Gen Z is now in this inflection point that they are not kids anymore. They're actually mm-hmm. in their mid twenties, high twenties, uh, and we've been pounding the table for a very long time about this generation because we are big believers that this is the most destructive generation ever in history. And it's going to be nothing like we've seen before for two very simple reasons. First reason is that this is the first generation that was born into an online world. By the way, Gen Z is, by definition, was born between 1996 and 2016. So as I said, they are now in the mid-high 20s already. Um, They've never experienced an offline moment in their life. They were born with a smartphone in their hand. Most of them were born after the first smartphone. They can't remember, have never experienced an offline moment. And as Holly will tell you, that is impacting every aspect of their lives, from their consumer, financials, uh, and socialize, everything around that. So we've been always saying that this is extremely important. The second thing uh, that is making them very unique is that this is a generation for the first time in history, we are becoming more and more like them, not the other way around. Hmm. When we were growing up, we adopted a lot of the behaviors and characteristics of our parents and onward. Every generation have their own unique characteristics, but overall the path was very clear. For the first time, we are becoming more and more like them. Think about we're becoming more online. We are uh, adopting a lot of their behaviors, we're taking selfies over food and all this stuff that, no, you really make them quite unique. Uh, so the impact is actually much bigger than just their portion of the population or their financial accumulated wealth. Great. So I want to double click a little bit on this. We'll, st- we'll stick with you, Haim. Like, 
So, so you said this is the generation that was the Instagram generation, right? They were born, they were born in the era of, of the smartphone. Um, love to hear how, what kind of services they need for in financially to be able to um, turn into responsible adults. Of course. So first of all, for, um, I think that the question is a little bit misguiding because it's to understand what are their financial needs, we need to understand their characteristics. What do they really let's need? Let's start there. Great. Um, and it's not just they don't walk up and say, that, oh, let's go to the bank and see what do I need. It's the other way around. Mm -hmm. This is the online generation. This is the experienced generation. They want to live here and now. They understand that they can get everything online. They want experience now. They have zero attention span. They don't want to wait. Um, and they want to live now. Whatever is going to cap me for my behavior today, I won't do it. The second thing is that, no, it comes down to their characteristic of born into an online world is that they want everything online. They want, the, if it's not on my phone, I will not use it. We did a lot of research around Gen Z. We did a lot of surveys. Uh, uh, we published them. A couple of the things that financially, which actually, let's let's go back before the finance. The finance. I said, they want to live here now. They will have less kids. They will get married later. Their values are very different. They are less about accumulated wealth or they are less about everything that will cap my living here and today. If mm. I'm taking a mortgage, it's capping it. If I'm taking a stupid loan, it's capping it. If I'm going to university, it's capping it. So I will be, I will think two, three, four times. I want experience, meaning that I will not have one career for the, for the rest of my life. No, if no, think about the Gen Z today is a, no, let's say they went, um, went into the job market around their early 20s, like every other generation. We're, they are the generation that will live to their 100 years old easy in the Western world, maybe even more than that. It means that they were probably going to retire around their 70s. Some of them are even in their 80s. They're not going to do the same job for 60 years. They will have two, three, even four careers during their lifetime. It could be very different. We all start to see that. We see the job migration, which is a big thing, the great you know, resignation. They are moving not just between different line of businesses. They are moving between businesses. They are moving between completely different careers. They can start their, their day in, in fine. They can the career in finance, moving to laws, moving to uh, education, moving to so many other things and during their lifetime. Um, as a result, what we are seeing, they're not going to universities. There's a plummet in enrollment to universities. They are not using anything which is not online uh, and or can get access online. Maybe they will go down to the shop. Maybe they will go down to the branch. And, but if they cannot find a solution, that will allow them to do stuff online. Um, and that is really changing their entire behavior. Their aspect about financial stability that we were actually being, you know, being so obsessed with, it's not something that really interests them today. They are feeling actually very comfortable. It could be, I, I'm not sure if they're right or wrong. That's a very different question. It could be a situation that they were born, in a, they were born into a world of financial um, uh, or, or fiscal, uh, not tightening, but fiscal expansion and, 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 uh, uh, and easing and, and free money. Mm -hmm. And everything came very easy. So every time something got you know, tough, COVID, whatever, they got a check in the mail, maybe that shaped on their behavior. But they're, very, they're really less worried about that. And, and I think that's really changing the entire behavior. They're not thinking they have to make all those kind of investments and all those kinds of, of tools that will give me a really nice pension at one point. 
Got it. Thank you, Haim. Holly, let's go to you. Like, how, how are you thinking about you and your teams and delivering financial pro products yeah. and services to, to some of the behaviors that Haim alluded to? Right. Well, I think the behaviors that Haim talked about are spot on, right? And our goal as a consumer financial services company is to provide the tools our clients need for financial health, right? So knowing what Gen Z's behaviors are, how are we adapting to that? And I think it's very clear, right? We're trying to give them all of these tools in the digital space. So that is first and foremost, whether it's financial education or the tools they actually need to use to manage their financial lives, plan and budget. It is all in digital. So we should start there because as I'm said, that's where they start. That's where they want to stay, if at all possible. And so knowing what our goal is in terms of creating a framework for financial health, we do all sorts of financial education online, primarily through our Better Money Habits platform, where we offer resources, advice, and tips for them. Um, that launched a long time ago, a decade ago in 2013. Since 2013, we've had three and a half billion, billion interactions in Better Money Habits. So it's become very popular. So that's number one in terms of just education and tips. Second is we're trying to get out to our clients in the channels where they are. Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube with some of these tips talking to those clients eye to eye in Gen Z terms, right? Trying to be modern and current. And we have, we actually have a current um, campaign out there in those channels, which are talking directly to Gen Z. Um, and I, I actually, um, prior to this was refreshing on what those clips are. And, you know, they're really useful. It's tips on how to spend and budget in their terms, for example. You know, if you're in Instagram and I'm actually taking this to heart, you know, don't immediately buy, fill up your cart during the course of the week and then review it over the weekend. Give yourself time to think, does it fit in my budget? Do I really want to do this? So we're really trying to reach them where they are, talk in their terms, and then, you know, also provide the, the guardrails they need. We know they need to have a solid financial future. So life plan, setting goals for themselves and, and making a plan to achieve those goals. Again, life plan is in digital. It's, it's a way for our clients to set goals for themselves and a path from a financial health future perspective. Um, you know, Erica is also very interesting and speaks right to Gen Z. It's a virtual assistant that sits right on our app gives them answers to questions, helps them plan, and gives them the information they need. So, you know, I think just to wrap on that question, everything is in digital, which speaks to Gen Z what they want. And we are really trying to reach them where they are with the tools we know they need to have a solid financial future between education, um, information around saving to buy a house, budgeting, you know, reducing debt, um, creating an emergency fund and so on and so forth. We kind of chunk it out for the clients for Gen Z so that they get what they need along the way in the channel that is most relevant to them. 
That makes a lot of sense. Um, and while we're here, Holly, I'd love to double click on your comment around education. I'd love to hear a little bit more about, um, you talked about being in the channels, about actually framing things in, in their language and in experiences that they understand. Can you talk a little bit more about how Bank of America is addressing the educational component? Sure. Yeah. So I will go back to Better Money Habits, which is a free online platform. It's available actually to everyone, not only our clients, but everyone. And it's a tool that is set out in digital to address topics like budgeting, saving, paying down debt, home ownership, retirement. And it's, it's meant to demystify some of the things in the financial world that can seem um, challenging and complex. So we really try to make it simple, put it in their terms, um, and they can do it at their own pace, right? Our goal for our own clients is to feed and personalize those better the better money habit content at moments where we think it's relevant to our clients. So, you know, if we see our client is shopping for a credit card, we will tee up for them information around managing credit, paying down debt, how to use credit responsibly. So um, we have the content, it's available to everyone. We personalize it and use it in experience for our clients at moments that we think are relevant to them to give them the information they need. Because Gen Z, and I have three of three of them at home. Um, they God need bless you. Yeah, they need the information, right? And oftentimes giving them the information in these channels, in online, with video. So we've recently tried video with some of this content. That makes it more impactful for them, but it's so important to meet them where they are um, and to give it to them in terms that are really simple. So we spend a lot of time simplifying, meeting them where they are, and giving them the information that they need. Got it. Hi, how are you seeing this generation... Um accumulate knowledge and experience around what it means to, to, to live financially? So this is a generation that will take in and consume its knowledge from very different places. It's not like what we've done. They are said before that we're seeing a plummet enrollment to universities because universities are behind. We need to remember this generation was born with this device, with the iPhone or with smartphone in his hand, meaning he has access to all the information by just moving a finger. And now we have generative AI, and that's extremely important, and we probably have to talk about that, which means that I don't even have to look anymore. Actually, all I have to do is ask and get all the information in the world and compare it, digest it, slice, dice, do whatever I need with it. So it's becoming less about getting the information. It's really what I'm doing with this information, how I'm helping them with the information. Um, this is, they're gonna have, they're gonna be much more life experience than we did, less book experience maybe because I don't need it anymore, um, much more creative in life. So the way that we are, we need to look at the education market in general, and of course, financial education specifically, is actually become, is, is getting very, very different. The other thing is we need to remember that those guys have zero attention span. There was a, a fascinating survey done by Microsoft that actually checks that an average Gen Z has the attention span of eight seconds, while a goldfish is actually at nine seconds. I have no idea how Microsoft measured the goldfish attention span, but those, this just shows you that even when we are addressing them, they can't be, um, uh, they can't be 
bothered with you know, very, very long text and information and whatever. They need to hear everything here and now. And the third point, which I think is very important here, is about, about data consumption, is that one thing that differentiates Gen Z, that I don't think we spoke about enough, is that they are the generation of, they are the citizens of the, of the world. They are mm -hmm. not citizens of a country. This is very, very important. Our survey uh, blew, my, blew our minds a little bit. Uh, when we asked them, what are you? Very simple question. We asked 15,000 all over the world. And this is how they identify? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And five out of 10, 50% of Gen Z said that they are either citizens of the world or nothing. They are not American, Japanese, Chinese, mm. uh, British. They are not. So their consumption of knowledge and openness for other, for other stuff, other cultures, other ideas is we never ever seen something like that. Some other research suggested, for example, you know, the boomers is one out of 10. Um, the millennials are roughly two out of 10. They are already five out of 10, which do not recognize themselves as citizens of a country. Um, so it just shows how, how open they are for other information, other cultures, other ideas. Um, and they are just consuming their information from everywhere. And yeah, so Zach, go ahead, Holly. Yeah, please. That, you know, and I think what Haim has said, their citizens of the world actually feeds right into this, you know, the digital capabilities for our clients, right? Because they are not going to be tethered to a location. <laughs> they, they want mobility. They want access. <laughs> anywhere all the time 24 by 7 so you know the digital approach here really feeds into that that trend um, and that characteristic of gen z so you know it's something that we see often in gen z they are obviously the higher highest users of our digital capabilities 90 percent of our Gen Z clients are digitally active. Compare that to the broader population, which is you know just under 70%. So they're much more digitally active. It gives them a lot more freedom and capability to manage their financial lives, you know, and not be tethered to a location. So um, you know that digital component is incredibly important here. That's fascinating, and I never, I never thought I, I understood the issues around boundaries, but I didn't realize how literal, you know, it makes borders sense. we were talking about. Yeah, you really think about it. You no, know, when they are what they are doing, they are socializing on social media with everybody. Mm -hmm. They don't know if the guy that they are talking to, him, her, are they are they next door neighbors, or they are living in a very different country. Um, and it actually, when you start to think about it, now I, I was I was shocked when I saw this number, and we checked it out again and again, and we verified it. And then when you start to think about it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I think it also impacts the way they work, right? Like, so if we think about employment trends, um, the gig economy and non-traditional work arrangements definitely are, are more common in this industry. I've seen that data as well. Um, given that, that either, either there's gigging or there's non-traditional sources of revenue, like financial services can evolve and probably will evolve over time. Holly, how, how do you see um, the role of financial services in, in working with this younger generation that has a different setup and a different reliance on where sources of, of income are coming from? Yeah, so we are obviously looking at that, um, you know, quite a bit because 
the the sources of income and employment do impact you know some of how we interact with our clients right in right terms of you know direct deposit and minimum balances and so on and so forth so we are course correcting and adjusting along the way to accommodate you know a changing infrastructure in how in how people make money, earn a living, and how their cash flows shift and adjust. And I think, you know, there are, are some examples I can provide in terms of, you know, getting real-time payment capability through Zelle, right? Um, that is huge. People want to exchange cash real-time without actually exchanging cash or a check. Um, and that's probably been one of the biggest innovations over, you know, I call it the biggest innovation since the ATM is the person to person real time payment mechanism with, you know, for, you know, the consortium of banks in the US, it's with Zelle, which is right embedded in our app. So really getting to the heart of what they want. And I, I will expand on something Heim said earlier in terms of, um, you know, they're absorbing information every day, all day. And one of the things that we've been very focused on is looking outside of financial services, the experience that Gen Zers are having because they're bringing it back into the financial services space and setting the expectations for us. So for example, they order their, their coffee online, they zip by and pick it up, right? Whether it's Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts, that is their expectation. So we are using those experiences to, to raise the bar on ourselves. And just as one example, which is one of my favorite capabilities is, you know, ordering foreign currency. If you're traveling, you know, to a foreign country, you can order foreign currency in our, in our mobile app and either have it delivered to your house or you can swing by a financial center and it will be ready for you at pickup similar to the coffee example. Um, so, so we're using those outside experiences to really shift and raise the bar on our own experiences um, for Gen Zers. Their expectations are really high. They want things instantaneously. And so we have to deliver that to them. And I have to imagine that over time, um, it does impact, the as you were saying, Holly, the types of products that financial institutions offer, as well as the role of a financial institution Hi, how, how do you see the gig economy and how that's impacting this generation? It's uh, we need to when we when we analyzing the whole how that's going to impact Gen Z. We need to remember one thing. Now we are and and I completely agree with Holly. We keep understanding that probably this is the most disruptive generation and everything, but we need to understand their size, not the size about how many Gen Z is out there. That's completely irrelevant. But for us to examine the financial world is to understand how much accumulated wealth they have. And right now, mm -hmm. Gen Z, according to our research, are not that big. They give or take around $7 trillion worldwide, which is, by the way, 4 or 5% of all accumulated assets in the world. It's not a lot. But before the end of this decade, because they are right now at this inflection point, they are gathering more and more assets, they're going to get to 33. They're going to jump almost seven times by financial assets. Uh, 33 trillion dollars and that number is also misleading because this is only the accumulated wealth by you know joining the job market and, and they said the gig economy and other stuff we're going to discuss in a second but if i add on that 
the accumulated wealth coming from the great transfer of wealth. Now, the older generation, which are moving their assets to the younger generation, every day, 10,000 people retire in the United States every day, and 5,000 are moving their assets to younger generations. They could be at $50 trillion by the end of this decade, bigger than the millennials, bigger than the boomers, bigger than any other generation on the planet. So you have to start thinking about them. The gig economy is extremely important, other economies as well. So I'm, I, I know that everybody right now focusing on Gen Z as the gig economy econ uh, um, generation, but that's not, I, I think that's not that accurate. They, this is the gig economy at this stage of their lives. I think when it's going to come to a slightly later stage of their life, um, it's going to move, the gig economy is going to transform to what I, I spoke before that, meaning that they're going to start moving between different professions and different mm -hmm. experiences and different things. So for now, it's the gig economy. You know, I can do A, I can do B, I can do easily. Like, you know, today I can be a writer, tomorrow I can be, you know, on a podcast, uh, uh, third day I can help with gaming or whatever. That's very simple. But the next, gen next stage of that, that will evolve for me thinking after three, four years in a profession, in a line of business, what I want to do next, what I want to experience next. And that's going to change the entire job market, I think, that we have to understand that we have Gen Z for three, four, five years. If we're really lucky, slightly more than that, but no more than that. So the, I think it's not just the GDP economy. I think that it's going, to, it's going to impact the entire job market. Yeah, and Zach, just to build on to that, so the implications for Gen Z and the gig economy, I think it changes a few things financially that make it even more important for Gen Zers to think about three things. First is making sure they're aware of their income and they set a budget, right? Because they're very independent um, compared to people who may have started with a company and spent their whole career there, right? So budgeting and income understanding is incredibly important. You know, emergency savings also becomes, I think, more important as they transition from one career to the next. Having that cushion and that buffer becomes even more important for them. And then I would say the third thing is big, and it's investment and retirement. So whether they choose to retire, as Haim said, in their 70s, maybe even 80s, they have to think about that, and they have to think about that, you know, more independently than somebody who joined a company and spent their whole career may have, because they're going to have to create that retirement cushion and buffer investment so that they can, in fact, retire when they want to. So I think, you know, that makes the financial education even more important to them, right? Teeing up the information at the right point in time so that they actually, you know, hear it, listen, take action. Um, but those three things, I think, are going to be very important for them. And especially that that third one really feels like threading the needle as, you know, this generation is prizes its independence and its flexibility between moving through things, yet also has to think long term towards retirement. You know, be, being able to hold those two things together might not be That's easy right. for. Yeah. When, when we look to the job market and try to ask Gen Z, you know, what's important for you in a job? Um, actually, payment and financial stability came as number six. Number yeah. one was culture. Um, uh, and then after that was an asset independency and other stuff. Only number six is how much I'm going to get paid. That, that tells you a lot, I think. It does. And so we're getting near the end of our conversation. Holly, I have one last question for you. I mean, you've got, as you mentioned, three young ones at home. Um, what kind of advice 
what do you think about in terms of helping um it doesn't have to be about your own kids but about this generation yeah. you know building a firm financial future and and as they embark on sort of building their adult lives like how, how do you think about that right well i i do try to talk to them about it i often will send them information instead of talking to them because sometimes you know the gen zers can tune the parents out, which um, I'm, I'm not exempt on that. But I, I really focus on three things with them. First, setting a budget and a plan and trying to stick to it, right? Understanding the ins and outs, inflows, outflows. Um, start saving early. That is so critical. My oldest is graduating from college this year. And, you know, I said to her, you have to start your retirement savings the minute you step off that college campus. Whether it's $10 a week or $100 a week, you have to start early. Um, so that's number two. And then number three, and this is a constant balance, don't spend the money you don't have, right? You have to use credit really responsibly, understand where it's a positive, but don't spend money if you don't have it. So those, those are three very simple things that I talk to them about. And, and I think those hold true um, for a very long time. Holly Hyam, thanks for joining us on the Tear Sheet Podcast today. It's been a great conversation talking about Gen Z. Thank yeah, you so you much, Zach. Thank you, Holly. Thanks, Jaime.